What you're about to hear is a discussion about personal experience with cancer. We're not medical professionals, and at no point are we making recommendations for diagnosis, treatment, nor care. All opinions are highly personal as each individual experiences mental and physical side effects of cancer and cancer treatments differently. We're only here to listen, discuss, and break the social taboo of cancer. Have you guys met before? You guys have, right? We did like a little video call, us three. Yeah. Amazing. Well, after multiple reschedules, here we finally I know. (laughs) So I know we know a little bit about, um, you know, your story, but we'll dive into every part of it today just so we can talk through everything. Awesome. Sweet. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about uh, the beginning of your journey with cancer? Okay. So I have two two separate times I was diagnosed with cancer. So the first time was when I was 29. And um, I don't know if you want to hear like exactly how I found it. Is that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, we'd love to know what initially even made you think to get checked out. Okay. So essentially I was in Colombia. I was teaching abroad. Um, I met my boyfriend at the time, husband now, um, out there. And, um, I didn't know if I wanted to extend my time there, but I was essentially really battling with just being sick all the time out there. Um, I was having really bad, um, like stomach issues. I was extreme fatigue. Um, I was having chills all the time. Imagine like I was living in Cartagena and the temperature out there is like 35 degrees Celsius. And I would sleep with like just a fan and have to turn that off sometimes because I was so cold. Um, So I just, you know, thought it was IBS. I didn't know like I wanted to stay longer, but because I was struggling with what was going on, um, me and um, my partner were essentially like, okay, you know what, go back to Canada, get everything checked out, and then, you know, we'll revisit things after, um, like what our plan was in our relationship. Um just because when I was out there, the doctors kept giving me antibiotics for this stomach bug that they said essentially was common when foreigners come to the coast. I was also just, you know, in the public health uh, sector when I was going to the doctors as well. Um, I didn't have any scans or anything out there. Uh, Fast track, I come back to Canada. I was binge watching Grey's Anatomy. And at this point, I went to a walk-in doctor, a walk-in clinic, and I had an appointment for a stomach biopsy, but it was like four to six months out. Like it was so long. So I was like, okay, maybe this isn't serious. Maybe this is just, you know, um, just as, you know, like IBS or I don't know, not that IBS isn't, you know, serious, but just maybe it's not something that I have to deal with right now. Um, so I'm watching Grey's Anatomy and the woman was pregnant and had breast cancer in the episode and she had to pick 
between the two. And I was like, oh, you know what? I've never did a self exam. Like I've never checked my breasts before. It's something I've never done. Um, I don't know. It was never, I, I don't, I'm not blaming it on anyone, but it was just never taught to me. It was something conversation I never had, um, ever. Like I replay this in my head, but I think about like high school and how we learn about sex ed and how to, you know, protection, but I never learned that like, you know, you could get breast cancer at any age. Um, so I felt it. I woke up in the morning. I, I was thinking about it all night and I just started Googling. Like I just went down this rabbit hole and I was like, I have breast cancer. Like I have it. And it was a huge ball just huge. Like literally I could grab it with my thumb and my index finger and like stretching my fingers out just to kind of give like, you know, cause the podcast, just like a visual kind of. And I was, I could literally grip it with stretching my fingers cause it was around 10 centimeters, the lump. Wow. And so you didn't feel it like before no. the Gray's anatomy tipped you off and then you were like, oh, I should like check. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So I had also to give a visual, I had very large, large breast, uh, very dense. Um, even if I would lay down and my boob would go to the side, like you wouldn't be able to feel it. I would actually have to lift my arm up like when you're actually doing the physical check and go into it in order to feel the lump. Um, so I just started binge binging on like YouTube videos, uh, looking at the diagnosis process, like what do I have to do? What, you know, uh, in the morning, um, I told my mom, I was like, I have to go to the doctor. I feel a lump. And she's like, okay, let's go. And it was like the first thing we did in the morning. Um, I was staying with her because I just got back. This is like maybe like four weeks or something like that. Um, So anyways, we go to the doctor. The doctor was amazing in in the walk-in clinic and was like, okay, I don't really like the way that feels. Uh, Let's send you... Uh, for an ultrasound. So we go have the ultrasound. I have a fam, uh, family doctor now because my mother was like, okay, we need to get you a family doctor. So it was just with her family doctor. She was like, of course, I'll take you on. She took me on and she was basically like, there's no way that this is cancer. Like, there's no way that you have breast cancer. Like, you're so young. You have no family history of it. Um, there's no way. And I was like, okay. Okay, fine. So I was like, okay, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. I started Googling these other things like benign. Uh, I don't remember. It was like, I don't even, I don't even want to say the word because I don't even remember. So I was like, okay, maybe it's that, you know? Was that, um, so the walk-in clinic, was that before the family doctor? Before, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This was- so did you see the family doctor like in the interim before you were waiting to get the ultrasound or what was that? So the family doctor was after the ultrasound, but immediately after, like we didn't even get the reports yet. My mom was like, come to my family doctor. And I was like, okay, perfect. She's lovely. I'm not, I just think that there's like this like lack of education around breast cancer. I think that's just what it is. Um, There's definitely been a through line of young women that we've spoken to. I mean, Desiree included, where doctors 
are very quick to say, oh, there's just no way mm-hmm. that this is what it could be, which I think is part of the larger problem of us not understanding that it actually can be that. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's, it, it is. It's so common. So many women that I've connected with that have breast cancer are all saying the same thing. There's some women that have advocated for years just to get a check. Like it's, it's, so, it's very sad. Um, but she was, she said no. And I worked at a pain care clinic at that time. Um, and this, this four week, I went back to the same job that I had prior to leaving. Um, so I worked with a bunch of doctors and they were the same. They were saying the same thing. And it was this one younger doctor, um, that said, and at this point, like I had the ultrasound and I, and I brought it to her and she's like, you know what, Jenny, like, I think this might be breast cancer because they're finding, they found something in the lymph nodes as well. So just push for an MRI. At the bottom, it said, like, it gives you levels of what it could be. And it wasn't, I I believe it was like one to three or one to four. And it was like the middle number. So like, let's take it serious, but like, maybe not too serious. I don't know. (laughs) Because it was like numbered. (laughs) Yeah. When you got your ultrasound results back, did that go to your family doctor? It did. It did go to my family doctor. And what did she say? So she had to book me for an MRI. Okay. So she did. Okay. Okay. So she did. Yeah. So she booked me for an MRI. I do. I did the MRI before I went back to Columbia to visit um, my partner. And um, I, that's, that was the only thing I could think about, right? And this is like, now at this point, it was weeks or like two months. I didn't get results or like I didn't get anything. Like nobody told me anything. And now I'm like calling the family doctor and doing all of these things. And my mother just lost her shit and completely advocated for me. And I love her for that. And she was like, I need you to send her stuff now. Like we need it. And she did that. And I kid you not, the next day, mind you in the MRI, I'll get there. Um, The next day they booked me for a biopsy. And it was my mom getting on the phone, like yelling, like, she needs it. We need the results. We didn't know I needed a biopsy. We just said we needed the results. So I don't know what happened in that process where the radiologist then looks at it and refers me right away for the next day for a biopsy. So I go the next day to get the biopsy. And you know, like I knew, this is the crazy part is that I knew, but I didn't know if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Like you get this I don't know if anyone else got it, but like, I got this like gut wrenching feeling that like, this is it. Right. Yeah. Did you, did you Mm -hmm. feel that? Um, yeah, I, after I had my ultrasound, that was the first time that I feel like I was a little bit tipped off because I could just tell by the way the tech, like you, they can't tell you anything. Right. Like, but I could just tell by the way that her energy was in the room that like something was weird and ever since then, I think I knew, but I just didn't really like fully think about it. <laughs> like I didn't let myself kind of like feel the emotion of it, but I think I did know pretty early on. That it was. Yeah. And, and I think mm-hmm. that was the case with me as well as like, I knew I didn't have the experience with the, with the tech, the ultrasound tech, cause 
it was a very uh, isolating feeling for me with with the tech actually. Um, but when I when I went in for the biopsy, I, I had this feeling, and uh, I go in, um, I do the biopsy. Sorry, no, I didn't. I go in, and oh my god, I'm actually. I don't remember if I did the biopsy first or she gave me the results of my MRI. I want to say she gave me the results first. Essentially, she was like, do you know why you're here? And I was like, yeah, they found a lump and I'm going to do this biopsy. And she was like, "Um, did anyone read your MRI results? And I was like, well, no, nobody read it to me. And my mom and my aunt are in the waiting room at this point. And... I'm like, no, nobody read it to me, whatever. So I know, but I don't know. Like you, you still, I, it's just this crazy thing that just happens. And she's like, you tested positive for breast cancer. And we know that it spread into your lymph nodes. And I don't remember. Like I just like completely blacked out at that point. And then I just like my mom and my aunt run into the room and they're just like, spring water on my face I guess I I don't know I don't know if I went like white or like completely just like my face just went pale um so they started I'm sorry to cut you yeah sorry to tell you because um so your mic you're hitting it a couple times and it's um cutting over your top no no you're okay just yeah just I want to be able to like capture everything and not cut anything okay I'm so sorry yeah that would so you were just saying your your mom and your aunt came back in so essentially, let me just, this is hilarious. It's my husband's, but I, <laughs> I was like, Ooh. I love it. You're a very like animated hand talker. I know that's the yeah. Middle Eastern in me. I can't help it. <laughs> that's probably what's hitting the ear, the earpiece. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, then my aunt and my mom come in and they spray water on me, like just like normal, regular water. It's not like this holy water or anything. It was just like water, just like spraying me with it trying to get me to drink the water and um and then we go we do the biopsy the doctor that I had was so amazing I think that the process sucks but it's nice to have a good team and she was amazing and when they would ask me a question if the question was repeated she'd be like don't ask her the same question like I already asked her that like let's let's try and make this you know, as smooth as possible for her. Um, so I did the biopsy and then I got back the result. I tested, um, the pathology report was triple positive. Um, my staging, like they stage you, but it's always like they give you a stage, but then when you do surgery, you really know the stage I find more. Um, so I was, we knew I was stage three because it showed into the lymph nodes. Um, we didn't know how many lymph nodes. So um, it ended up being like from what they pulled, it ended up being like there was only one that didn't test positive for cancer. So I had stage 3C um, at the time and um, it was 10 centimeter area. So when I was feeling that, it felt like a 10 centimeter tumor, but it it was the area that was just 10 centimeters. Um, and then I started uh, treatment. But before I started treatment, I, th- I think I mentioned this to you before, I did IVF. Before we jump into that, can yeah. I just kind of ask a little bit about like your 
emotional state kind of finding out you know finding out the news and then finding out the severity of it yeah like how how were you coping so because I have two different diagnoses the first one was okay I have stage three not to to minimize it by any means but I was like I'm gonna fucking do this I'm going to get through it I'm gonna do the chemos I'm gonna do the surgery I'm gonna do the radiation and I'm gonna live my life right I was super depressed at first when I first heard the news but the more that I went online and I looked at other women I started connecting with other women um I know men get it, but I'm the one, the people that I've connected with were, were women, um, just, just had these stories. I guess it was what I was looking for. And those were the stories that I were, that I was finding. It was like, you do it, you go through chemo, you, you know? So in that process, in the beginning, I was, I was super depressed, but then I was like, oh, I'm rocking this shit. I'm going to kick cancer's ass, you know, like kind of the like mentality I had. I actually didn't feel depression, I think, to the max in that time when I was done everything, actually, is when I mm-hmm. really felt the depression. Mm-hmm. Because you're kind of just like facing a challenge. And it's almost like if you come at it with this attitude of like it's something to overcome and you're like actively going through this obstacle course in a way like you're not really thinking about the I guess emotional toll that it's taking Mm -hmm. I think I exactly it's just that I was in that fight flight like just adrenaline just going 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 like I didn't have that much like in the beginning yes I had the waiting process of doing everything but even that was go because then I started doing IVF and then from IVF I did chemotherapy and then from chemo I did, you know? So it wasn't, I, for, for me at least, it wasn't until after I felt I- extreme depression after I was done and like even purpose, like it was this strange thing because I just got so used to going to the doctor all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you, so- um, sorry, Eva, go ahead. I was just going to ask, um, at this time, your partner is obviously in an- another country. Mm-hmm. Um, did you guys continue seeing each other? I mean, you guys are married now, but did you guys just continue your relationship all the way through? This is this is my favorite part of the story. <laughs> it really is. Um, so when I ori- initially got the diagnosis, um, I told him, I was like, okay, well, waterfalls, <laughs> I'm going to start crying. I told him like... I think it's better maybe we stop seeing each other. Just because my thing was is, you know, you hear the stories of people like cancer not coming back, but you also hear the stories where it could come back, right? And sorry, I hit it again. <laughs> to selfishly, oh, what this is my process, everyone's different. Uh, to, for me, I just felt selfish bringing somebody into that with me. So I did, I did have a conversation with him and and just told him that, um, you know, I think that maybe it's better we don't see each other. And um, he was so, so amazing. He actually, um, he actually, give me a sec, I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So he, I just kind of need to backtrack it a little bit just because 
prior to me actually getting the diagnosis, he got a job offer in Colombia. That was an amazing opportunity for him. And he already had an amazing job, but it was just even better for his career, you know? Um, and our plan was I was going to go back and then I got the diagnosis. And then um, he came to Toronto after I said, like, I, I maybe we shouldn't do this. But he was like, no, like, I want to be there for you. And I want to do this. Like, I love you. He came to Toronto. He surprised me. Sorry, Hamilton. I was in Hamilton. He came to Hamilton. He surprised me. Um, at this point, he's never met my family. And he contacted my mom. And he was like, I want to surprise Jenny. So when I came back from work, he was there at my house and he surprised me. And that was the first um, thing that happened. And then he went back. We were still together. We decided that like, we're going to do this. We're going to do it together. He went back and then that happened around June, let's say May, June. And then he came back in August and he proposed to me at the airport in the middle of like chemo again butt ass bald <laughs> um and yeah he proposed to me at the airport my my mom and my aunt were there and he was like I'm staying here and I want to do this with you like I want to fight with you oh that's so beautiful <laughs> can, I, can I ask uh, how long you were together when you got diagnosed we weren't together long we were together for a year Oh, wow. Yeah, we yeah. were not together for long. So for me, it was like, oh, this is, this is, you know, you know, and I don't know, but you know, some people go away and they find like love in this like other country. And then it's like, you know, you go back home and it's done. But that was not the case for us. Sorry, I need to wipe my nose. <laughs> well, it was meant to be. That's such a. Yeah, yeah. He's the best co-thriver I could have ever asked for. Like, he is the best <laughs> caregiver. He actually deserves a serious shout out. Yeah. <laughs> well. How was he um, coping with it at the time? Do you know what his coping style was with it? So, you know, it's really hard to say because we are so opposite when it comes to being emotional. And I think for him, it is uh, going, like to keep going and to, you know, to find a self-care that makes so much sense for, for me in this case and for him, you know. Um, so that has been a part of our journey as well and how he copes and how I cope has all it's been amazing it's been that has been a really amazing part because I think we both have found ways and I think for him it's through physical like running and working mm -hmm. out and reading um so that has been the process I think for us we've been figuring it out we've been figuring out a lot of shit and I think that coping has been something uh newer for him Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, did you find when you kind of first got diagnosed, um, that you like needed someone to kind of advocate for you? I know you were mentioning like your mom and your aunt were very like involved. Um, I'm just curious. Cause for me, it was like in that moment, I like couldn't like, it was like my partner that kind of advocated for me. 
especially in the beginning, but along the way, um, how, like, how did you find that? Did, were you like, did it come natural to be like pushing for things or were you kind of just like, I, I just need people to tell me what to do and like, I'll do it. (laughs) Um, I think at first I needed it from my mom, from that initial, that initial call. But um, I really found my voice in this whole process. <laughs> I've always, I, I don't want to say that it's just been this process. I've always been that person, but I've really found it now. I think I've been so, from my first diagnosis to my second, I was more complacent. I was more like, okay, this is what I do. Oh, okay. And this is what I do next. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, okay, this is the reconstruction yeah. I'm supposed to do. And, oh, this is the chemo that I'm supposed to do. So I th- I think like it grew, it grew, but I also think it was just cause I learned more, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it is really hard when you first get diagnosed, if you haven't been, you know, accustomed to like being in a medical situation to just assume that like the, your doctors are giving you the right like course of action and not question it. Right. Yeah. Like I was, I was definitely like that too. I was just like, they're the experts. Like I'll just do whatever, you know, but if I didn't question certain things now in hindsight, like I would have been in a much different situation. So yeah, it's very important. For sure. I think I would have done things differently if I knew what I knew now. I think a lot of things actually I would have done differently for sure. For, first of all, my reconstruction, I would have done that so different. Um, but yeah. Was it your doctors that first spoke to you about, uh, IVF? Was it like, and did they bring that up before your surgery? So my surgery was after chemo. So my, mine would be chemo first. So I brought it up and it was because I saw a woman online talk about it. Cause I just like that rabbit hole, like I knew about the IVF thing before I even did the MRI. That's Mm. like, I was just, I just went down a rabbit hole. Um, So I brought it up to my oncologist. Actually, he had me booked that Monday to start chemotherapy. Wow. I brought it up and he was like, okay, pause. We'll pause chemo, Mm -hmm. do the IVF cycle. And then let's, let's go from there. I I think you're the first person who's done the chemo before the surgery that we're speaking to. Mm Mm-hmm. What was the reason that I would be chemo first? So when the tumor tends to be bigger and when there's a lot of lymph nodes active, they do chemotherapy first in order to see if it will shrink it. Oh, okay. So they see, they, they try to get it to get as small as possible. Uh, so mm-hmm. mine dropped down to like a 1.3, I think it was 1.4 centimeter from what it was before. Wow, that's drastic. It is drastic. But the thing for me was, is the lymph nodes uh, didn't um, react to the chemotherapy. So I had a lot of residual cancer after surgery. Yeah. Okay. What was the IVF process like? So the IVF process, I was so just going through all the motions, but the, the IVF was very challenging. It's something I have never thought about. Something... I just wasn't even thinking about children at that point. Like I was 
honeymoon phase with my, with Javier. Like, you know what I mean? Like I wasn't even thinking about it. Um, so I had my consultation and, uh, the doctor said that we don't know if this is going to be a successful IVF cycle because after they did the, uh, ultrasound and they looked at everything, they said that you're actually about to ovulate. So we have to stop you from ovulating um, mm. and then start the medication. So she said this is going to be a, a bit challenging for for her, but um, she's like, let's try it if you want to try it. And I did want to try it. I wanted to make sure that I had that opportunity to try at least, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I did it we were able to retrieve seven eggs. I didn't make them embryos. Um, I didn't want to put again, that pressure on my partner. Um, he was so ready to do it, but I was just, I, I didn't want to do that. I didn't, I, I just wanted the eggs to just be the eggs by themselves. Um, you actually have a I'm just repeating what the doctor said to me. Um, she basically was like, it's better to make them embryos because mm-hmm. it, it's more successful when you want to try and conceive. Um, but I still just wanted to do the eggs. I just felt more okay. comfortable. Yeah. And then I just so, started the chemotherapy. Sorry. So for my own selfish purposes. I have a question <laughs> about that. Yeah. Because you do have a child now, right? I do. Is it, did you use <laughs> the egg or was it natural? So, um, I'm going to cry. She was a one-time try. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> wow. Yeah. She was a one-time try. Yeah, she was. She was a one-time try. She is my light. Her name is Noor. Um, she is everything like to me. <laughs> but yeah, she was a one-time try. The doctor said that the doctor that I was actually, the doctor that did my biopsy, because um, I was spotting and I was like, oh, fuck, do I have another cancer now? that did my biopsy is a high risk OB and he tested me and he was like, why don't you just try? And I was like, well, I don't want to come off my medication for too long. Like, I don't, I I just want to use the eggs. Like I didn't even want to know if I could or couldn't. I was so afraid, you know? Um, but I knew that I really wanted to have a baby at that point. So we tried once and yeah. And there, there it was. We like, it, it, that's a story in itself, but yeah. <laughs> but so hopeful. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I was just curious because I also froze eggs, not embryos. <clears throat> so, and like, I feel like me and my partner just keep pushing it off because we never feel like we're ready to have kids. So I'm like, okay, like I just need to hear a story of someone that like used eggs and it like worked because that's, yeah. that's what I got. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so, that's so, that's such a good, uh, happy story it is I actually know a couple of women that have had babies after their diagnosis so it is it's pretty it is it's nice to hear those stories especially if you do want children right Mm -hmm. I love how both your partner and your daughter came into your life in such a meant to be way 
It's oh so my God. beautiful. I call Noor my love baby because she is so intentional. She was like, I'm telling you, like with all of my heart, she was so intentional and she's not here right now. I would have totally brought her in the end. And you just see how much, like, she is such a love baby. She is like, just, oh, oh my goodness. I'm sure you see her on my Instagram though, but she's such a love baby. <laughs> she's such a love baby. Oh, she's so sweet. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's just a beautiful story. I want to like live there for a bit. Me too. <laughs> just there. <No. laughs> yeah, just there. Um, but to bring it back, so when the IVF was finished, uh, you started your chemo. Yes. Um, so I did the AC at first. It was four rounds of AC and then four rounds of Taxol and Herceptin together. Um, I did that. And it was every other week. I believe it was on a two-week cycle. I think that's just the standard. I think, I think so. But it was um, for like my staging. Sorry, it's standard for like my staging. Um, so mm -hmm. four ACs, four taxels with Herceptin with the taxels. And then I did my, um, I had my mastectomy. I had a bilateral mastectomy. I decided for both. Um, my surgeon told me that it would not reduce the risk of it coming back. For me, it was more of an aesthetic thing uh, because I had very large breasts, like I said before, and I just didn't know how it would look mm -hmm. with having to do an implant because I didn't have immediate reconstruction. So some women it is okay to the doctors say it's okay in my situation because I was very, um, advanced. Um, they suggested that I do radiation and then do the whole implant process. But the thing is, is I like now this is, this is the part where I say like, now, if I was in that I would have advocated for myself because I've met women that have had the same staging as me that have done the expanders, had radiation, and then did their reconstruction part. So mm -hmm. at, at that time, I was just like, okay, this is what I do. This is what I do. We just want to finish from this. I just, you know. Mm -hmm. So I did the, I did not have reconstruction for one year. Um, mm -hmm. After I had my bilateral mastectomy, I had radiation. I believe it was 25 rounds of radiation. Mm -hmm. And then I stayed on Herceptin for one year. So one year I did this injection, so targeted therapy every three weeks. So I did that for one year and I was also on um, tamoxifen. Mm -hmm. I didn't do Zolodex, which some women I know do that. I didn't do it. Um, again, this is something that I would do differently now. Um, mm -hmm. My oncologist basically was like, listen, it's a very low percentage of Zolodex working for reoccurrence. You don't really need to go on Zolodex. You could just do the tamoxifen, which I would have, again, done that differently and advocated for myself very differently, knowing that I had residual cancer to go on another chemotherapy. Um, but I just said, okay, let's do this. And why do you say that you would have done it differently? Um, so 
which part, the reconstruction or the medication? <laughs> both? Both, actually. I'd love to know. I think, well, for I think with both. the reconstruction, more was mentally for me. Like I said, I really, really was depressed after I finished the chemotherapy part and the surgery part. I had a very hard time emotionally. Um, and I think for me, at least, um, I identify with my breast, right? I know some people do not, but I, that's something I do identify with. And I didn't feel like me, you know, and I knew I was never going to feel like how Jenny was, you know, my great big double D's or whatever. I knew that wasn't going to be, but I still wanted that. Like I felt, I feel sexy with breast, right? So I think I would have advocated, not I think, I would have <laughs> advocated for um, reconstruction to have happened at the time of my surgery. Would you, so would you have done just like a, um, just a one mastectomy, like one side, or would you still have done both, but just done the reconstruction sooner or tried to do the reconstruction sooner? I think I would have still done bilateral. Okay. But I would have just done the, I would have had the expanders in and then revisited the, the swap for the implants at a later time. Yeah. Yeah. How did the, this is a little bit of a tangent, but how do the expanders work? Okay. So expanders go, so I did get expanders after yeah. and in my situation, it was under uh, the muscle because I had radiation. The area of my skin was radiated on. So it doesn't have that pull like mm -hmm. the non-radiated side. Mm -hmm. So mine had to go under the muscle. Um, they get put in and then you go back to your uh, surgeon and they fill it with saline and they just fill the area. Um, with a syringe and you have kind of like a port like mm -hmm. it's kind of like this on my arm it's a portacath I don't know if you could see it mm -hmm. yeah it's called a portacath and they put that it's under and and they just put this big syringe with fluid into your boob and it just expands until you get the desired size that you want in my situation I didn't really get to pick my size unless I wanted to be very small Mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't get to get like double D's again or anything like that because of the re the radiated side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it only went to a certain size and then we had to stop because the skin started getting really thin. Right. Um, so we had to stop. And so the expanders, is that something that basically happens to like stretch your muscle? Do they then put in an implant or is that the implant? No. Okay. So my situation, again, there's women that don't have to do it under the muscle. So for me, it, um, they expand the muscle in order to swap it out and put the implant in. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Is that process painful? It just sounds un very uncomfortable. <laughs> for me, it was pretty painful when we started getting to, uh, the max of <laughs> the give of my boob because, um, the skin was radiated. So it did start hurting at first. It wasn't that bad for me. Um, but after when it was like reaching its limit, it started hurting. Mm. Yeah. And how long does it take to, how long do they leave the expanders in? 
So mine minimum, we had to wait, I believe it was three months. Some, the longer, the better, because you want it to stretch. Um, but that was the minimum I would do. But I called my surgeon. She was amazing, amazing, amazing. And I was getting headaches at the time. And I wasn't able to do the MRI because there was something in there that I couldn't do an MRI. Mm -hmm. Um, and she said, okay, my next opening, it's yours. And she booked me like right away and did the swap because my anxiety was just way too high. (laughs) Yeah. Do you feel like that, that helped that you were able to like do reconstruction? Do you feel like it helped a little bit with self-image or, you know, things like, oh yeah. Yes. 100 for me. Yes. 100%. Like I feel like my confidence just was, wasn't back. I don't want to say back. It was a different, I had to relearn to love my whole entire self. Like I would be a liar if I said that like, Oh, you know, next day I have these boobs and I'm great. No, I had to relearn to love myself. I had to learn what clothes fit me now or what looked good, what didn't look good on me or what I thought looked good or didn't look good. Um, so it was just like a whole learning process. Imagine like you're in your, at that point now I'm in my thirties. I was like, I don't know, 31, 30. And I spent all this time learning how to dress for my body. And then now I have to fucking relearn it all, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you only figure it out when you're like 30. You're you know like, what I mean? Finally, yeah. you're like, oh, I know now. And no, I didn't know anything. I had to start all over again. Um, so that was interesting. And then, yeah, just relearning to love me. Was there anything that you did in particular throughout that process that you felt helped in terms of relearning, you know, to love your body? or just relearning to be in your own skin? So for me, it was definitely, it's a lot, actually. I, it was like a process. It was therapy. It was working out. I didn't have this. I don't know if anyone has had this, but the movement of my body, like, and when I mean movement, I meant like the way that I spoke the way I had conversations with people, like I had this, it was like almost like a block, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't have this like flow that I had, you know, and I had to relearn it. And the things that I was doing was therapy and working out and, you know, hugging when I like who I wanted to hug like those things I know it sounds probably so weird but it was like the movement like I had to do a lot of movement and like uh, and and receiving it as well you know because I was kind of like I, I don't know how to explain it I don't know if I'm giving the right details right now but it was like if somebody hugged me it was like I was like closed off mm. I didn't Mm-hmm. so I, I it was a lot of therapy a lot a lot of therapy it's almost like a self-preservation thing or something maybe like you're just kind of in a shell yeah for sure mm-hmm. it was it was foreign like my body felt foreign mm-hmm. I mean that makes complete sense yeah um how, you you don't have to talk about this if if you don't want to but I am curious how um your 
relationship with your partner was affected by like just your physical changes and and things like that, even just intimacy? You know, I'm not gonna get into too much detail, but I know, I know this. <laughs> I know this. Um, this does come up for a lot of women in this situation, especially because we're on so many hormone blockers. Women that are ER positive and and all of that. Um, you know, we really did find uh, a way <laughs> that that was never <laughs> an issue for us, at least. Um, it wasn't, I know, I know a lot of women have, but, um, we are, uh, really, uh, good in that department. We really found ways to just get it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Like we, we found it. And that was the thing. I, I honestly think he's just, and, and, and I don't want to take away or say like other women aren't because of their partner or whatever. I really found something in him that just made that easier for, for me. Like it wasn't super challenging. But I do know a lot of women talk about that. And there's a lot that happens when you have lower estrogen and, you know, so. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to hear, though, that some people can kind of easily work through that. And it's not like a huge thing, you know, like, I think it's important to not only hear the stories of like, it was a huge challenge. For me, it was definitely like one of the biggest challenges I think me and my partner faced. And just the way that he, like, he's fine. He handled it fine, but that was a point of contention, even knows. Um, so I think even just hearing that your partner was, I mean, like his attitude, I guess, oh, kind yeah. of. Mm -hmm. So, so gentle, like just so gentle with the process. I don't even mean like physically touching me, but like just gentle with my process and just, yeah. You know, there are times where I did not want to, and it wasn't this, like, it was never this, like, let's have a conversation about it. It was like, all right, when you're ready, boo, like, that's it. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it, it, so that wasn't really the issue, I think, in our relationship mm -hmm. going through the, this process. So you had mentioned that in hindsight, there was a number of things you could have done differently or would have done differently. Can you speak to that a little bit? Was it the chemo or I know you mentioned the reconstruction? With the chemotherapy, I think I would have kept that the same way. I think it's more the recon was really my issue. And um, after they found residual cancer after my uh, surgery, I think now I would have advocated for more treatment essentially, because in the U.S. things get approved way before, right? Um, so I would have advocated for something else if I knew what I knew would have happened, right? Mm -hmm. So once you had your surgery, well, you finished your chemo, then you had your surgery. How long until you found out that there was residual cancer? So I did the chemotherapy. After chemotherapy, they did the surgery. So after they do the surgery, they actually take the tumors or whatever is left, the area that they take, um, and they take the whole thing into pathology and they see, they look at the cancer inside. So when they took out all my lymph nodes, because I had to have a 
uh, radical um, mastectomy. So meaning they remove all the lymph nodes under my armpits and in mm-hmm. uh, and remove my whole breast. Um, they found that there was still residual cancer. So the chemotherapy worked, but not as much as we would have liked it to. Um, and then also cancer, the chemical is what my oncologist said. He said the chemical of the cancer, when it goes into the lymph nodes, could actually change of how it responds to chemotherapy. So in the lymph nodes, I had um, essentially uh, cancer that was coming out of the lymph nodes and they found it in the whole area. So it was actually coming out. I had like, they used, I believe, macro like bigger pieces that were like coming out and kind of spilling out of the lymph nodes. I was just going to ask what were the next steps after finding that out? So that was the radiation. So we did the radiation. Um, I did the 25 rounds of the radiation. After radiation, I continued the Herceptin. I think I said that. So every three weeks I would just do Herceptin. And then August came after the, how, how long was it? But it was long. So I started in June. I finished chemotherapy. I did that. So almost one year and two months I was done treatment. Three months around that. A year and three months. And then I'm, I'm done treatment. I'm done. I go into cancer-free. I live my life. <laughs> um, I, you know found so much love and nutrition um, and what made sense for me at that time. And I just, you know, did that and lived my life and me and my partner wanted to have the baby. We have newer. Um, And then I'm going to fast track it to my second diagnosis. Um, Mm -hmm. I come off my medication, I get pregnant and then we are in Montreal now because um Javier gets a job there and we were like yeah let's go to Montreal like whatever again live my motherfucking life (laughs) so we go to Montreal um and before we left I was getting a bit of pain in my in my rib area and I was you know my ribs hurting my OB wasn't seeing me. It was the student doctors that were coming to see me at this point because it was just the chat. Mm-hmm. like, oh, uh, you're good. Mm, okay. So student doctor is like, oh, it's normal when you get pregnant, you know, your, your, your ribs could expand. And, you know, I was like, oh, okay, cool. So this is how it's going to be. I don't know how people have three children. I <laughs> then <laughs> gets progressively worse. And I'm just like, oh God, this is so bad. So I say to Javier, like, I don't think that this is normal. Oh, my daughter. I don't know how quiet this is going to be now. So I'm like, Javier, you need to take me to emerge. Um, I'm just fast tracking because I have like, I already have an OB there. Like I'm already settled. Um, I didn't have an oncologist at this point. Um, but I was in the process of getting an oncologist because at that point I was only doing six month checkups. Sorry, I was doing one year checkups because now it's two years out from my initial diagnosis. Okay. So I'm there in Montreal, um, telling my husband, like, I'm just in so much pain. Like, 
my back is really hurting me and my rib area. I go to emerge in emergency. They're like, oh, it's kidney stones. And I'm like, did you see it in the ultrasound? They're like, no, but this is telltale sign of kidney stones. And I was like, okay. I go, did they know your history? I told them, I told them everything. That's like the first thing they say. I was like, listen, I was locally advanced. Like I had breast cancer. You sure this isn't breast cancer? Yeah. They said that it was kidney stones. I go back second time. I go to the OB clinic because now I'm further along. And I said like, hey, like I'm in so much pain. Um, and it's like, well, I don't think that it's metastatic disease. I don't think that this, I'm totally changing his voice, but I don't think this is stage four, like doesn't sound like it. And I was like, okay, um, I'm in a lot of pain. Like, is there a scan that we could do or something? Like, let's get this figured out. Um, and uh, he sent me for an ultrasound and again said kidney stones, which I was like, oh, this is like a thing. Kidney stones in pregnancy, I guess. Um, I asked if he saw it in the imaging. It was not in the imaging. I go to emergency the third time. And I said, like, guys, I'm in a lot of pain, like a lot at this point. No, not at this point. Hold on. I was, I was like, I'm in a, a lot of pain. Can we do a scan? So this was like in the middle of COVID. They did a... a x-ray of some sort that like you breathe in and it lifts these things on your lungs and I was like well I'm really feeling it in my back is where I really feel the pain in my ribs um they were like oh nothing like you're good it's probably just your pregnancy and I was like okay I call my OB at this point I'm blood is coming out of my nose which also is a thing in pregnancy which I didn't know (laughs) And I was like, okay, like I'm in a lot of pain, I'm bleeding from my nose. Like, what is happening? I felt at this point like my body was just collapsing. And um, she's like, oh, it's normal in pregnancy. Like, this does happen. And I was like, okay. So I find an oncologist, and I was just like, you know, I'm not going to go to the one downtown. I'm just going to find an oncologist that's close, uh, same hospital that my daughter was born in. Um, So she's so amazing. She was so amazing. So anyway, she took me on as her patient. um, And I explained to her the pain that I was feeling. And she was like, okay, you know, you already made it to your third trimester. You're like, you're about to give birth in like two weeks. Let's wait, give birth. Let's put you back on tamoxifen. Um, Let's wait a little bit because of the increase of clotting. So let's wait. Like, I believe she said two, three weeks or something like that. And then let's get you back in and let's see what's going on. So she, I I gave birth to my beautiful daughter. Um, I was in so much pain and everyone just kept saying like, you know, you talk to people and and this is a thing like postpartum back pain is a real thing. And I just Mm -hmm. felt it to the point where like, I couldn't even like lay on my back. I was trying to find like sleep on my side and, and everyone was just like, oh, Jenny, it's, it's normal. It's postpartum back pain. I was like, oh, okay. So I talked to my uncle. I call my oncologist actually, cause she said to call her after I gave birth. She said, take three weeks off. Give me a call. She went on vacation. So another oncologist called me and, um, I was t- explaining to him what I was feeling. And he's like, 
that does not sound like bone meds. There's no way. It doesn't radiate in different places. It's usually just in one place. I initially felt it in my ribs and then I was feeling it in my back. But at this point, I started feeling just like pain, like tingling in the front of my ribs. I was like, oh, okay, it doesn't radiate. This has to be postpartum. Um, My oncologist came back from vacation. I called, I actually called telehealth first. I called telehealth and they're like, are you sure this is not anxiety? Because the way you're explaining it sounds like anxiety. And I was like, I said, I said to my husband, I was like, so angry and so upset. And um, this was an argument at home. Uh, I was like, you brought me to this fucking place. They don't even believe me. I'm going to die in Montreal. Nobody believes me here. <laughs> Nobody's listening to me. Um, and we were like in the middle of the pandemic, right? <laughs> it was horrible. Um, not to, like drive someone crazy. Yeah. No, no. I honestly, like I'm laughing about it, but I really felt I was going crazy. I remember vividly, I am going to try and paint this picture to you. I was standing and we have a stand up shower. It was like an R&B video. Like I would literally put my hands on the glass and like, just be like, like, I didn't know if I was going through postpartum depression or this was just the pain or what. And I would just be like, God, like, please, please, please. I need to figure this out because I feel like I'm dying. Like I literally felt like I was dying. I was in so much pain and just crying. I couldn't pick up my daughter. It was so hard for me to pick her up, but I had to pick her up because I had no help. My husband was working and it was me. Like it was, it was just me. He helped when, when he was done work. Right. And that's just the way it was. So finally she sees me. I call her and I was like, I can't take this anymore. I'm like, I'm in a lot of pain. And she was back from vacation. She's like, okay, let's set up this bone scan for you. Um, and she booked me for the bone scan and the technician came in and she's like, Hey, did you, uh, have any injuries? Um, do you ever get into like an accident or whatever? And I was like, what do you mean? No, like the least athletic person in the world. Like didn't (laughs) like did not play sports, any contact sport or anything like that. That's why I say I found my self-care through working out now. But like prior to, I did not, I didn't, you know, anyways. Um, So I was a little thrown off by that. Anyways, so my scans took really long. So I was like, oh, there's nothing wrong because she would have called me, right? Because that's what they do. They call you. (laughs) They call you to come in ASAP. So I was like, I didn't get any calls, but I also didn't know that in the time, it, like at that time that we were there, it was like a shortage of radiologists or something because the reports were taking weeks to be reported, weeks and oh weeks God. and weeks to be reported. She calls me and it's the, re- sorry, she doesn't call me. Her receptionist calls me or her assistant and is like, hi, um, you know, is this Jennifer? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, could you come in tomorrow? And I was like, Why? I just give me the, just give me the answer. I'm like, why? And then she's like, you know, um, I, I don't want to say the doctor's name, but anyways, the doctor, I don't know. Cause I don't have her permission to talk about her. So she, she was like, she thinks that it's better that you come in. Um, doesn't feel like this is a phone conversation. And I 
just bawled. I was like, ah, I'm about to cry right now. But I was like, I am a new mom. Like, just tell me I know what it is. I just need to know because I just need time for my daughter. I need you to just tell me. And I just wanted to work on it now. Like I just needed to figure out how I'm going to be here for her. So I call my husband and he's at in the office at this point. And I'm like, Javier, I know the cancer came back. And he's like, why? I was like, they called me. They want me to come in. And you know, like, you know, you're familiar with it. Like when you have cancer or like anything, if anyone's, you know, has a yeast infection, they like tell them, okay, like come in, we need to talk. Right. Um, so I was like, I know that it came back. So I go in to see her and, um, she's like, I'm so sorry. Young. She was so young. She's like us, like so human. It was just shitty experience that I like, that I even had to go through it, but I was so happy that she was who gave me the message. Um, and she's like, I'm so sorry that, you know, people didn't believe you. And I'm so sorry, but essentially your cancer did come back and we see it um, throughout your whole bones. Like it wasn't just this one spot. It was in my skull, like just from, to kind of give a visual from the front of my forehead, all the way to the back of my skull, um, throughout the bone in my eye area, jaw, um, down my whole thoracic spine. So we're saying like almost every vertebrae has cancer, pelvic area, the iliac, um, one of my biggest tumors is five centimeters. That's in my hip. Um, I have it uh, like throughout. So essentially she was like, listen, I want to refer you to a doctor that I was under and that taught me. And he's amazing. And he's out of uh, Miguel. And she said that she thinks in my situation, it would be best. And she was like, we need to extend your life as long as we can you know, and that's when it just kind of hit me that, you know, I may, I may possibly never be cured of cancer, but I have to find a way to live with it, you know? Um, so she referred me and there was a doctor there that just worked so fast. He was so amazing. Um, referred me to the radiologist and they refused to touch me. And they said that we need to send you to a surgeon. We need to send you to, um, orthopedic surgeon, I believe. Um, so he saw me, he looked at my scans and he said, um, like he asked me like how I was doing, how am I able to pick up my daughter and stuff like that. And he said, we need to get you in for a surgery because your spine is collapsing. You have fractured vertebrae. Um, you also have spinal compression. So the thing with spinal compression is I could have lost mobility in my arms and my legs. He said, I want you to go home. Do not pick up your daughter. Do not work out. Cause he asked me and I started working out at this point, you know, he said, do not work out. Don't pick up your daughter. Um, just, uh, go home and I'll call you for this weekend. I get a call. Sorry. At this point I was like calling, you know, somebody to come to help me with my daughter. My husband can't take time off of work. Like mm -hmm. we haven't been there so long in Montreal. This is his job, you know, call my cousin and my cousin first flight flew to Montreal to help me with my daughter. 
he calls me, his secretary calls me and they got a second opinion on it. And they said actually to come in and admit myself into emergency because he didn't want to wait, like not even a couple days. So they admitted me um, and I had the surgery at 6am in the morning. I had the surgery. And so less than the tw- a 24 hour period. And I, and I was admitted. Um, they did the surgery. Luckily it was so grateful. It was successful. Um, so I have rods down my spine and cement in the areas that were fractured and screws, obviously, to keep the rods straight. And that's from my T4 to about T10 is all just rods for stability and cement throughout. And then I started chemotherapy. And... um and now I'm, I stopped chemotherapy because uh, the protocol was to do chemotherapy. I, oh, I did radiation as well to my thoracic area. Um, and now I'm just on a three-week cycle of targeted therapy. I do take pills. I am on Zolodex. <laughs> and uh, I'm just living with stage four cancer now. It was a lot, <laughs> right? I'm so, <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, no. You know, it's. I mean, I think the most infuriating part is that people didn't believe you. Yeah. And it speaks so much to your strength that you were still waking up in the morning and doing all of the things with a disintegrating like spine, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so incredibly strong of you. And like, I'm just so sorry that it took so long for them to to believe you, you know? Um, so you said you're living with stage four cancer. So what does that mean? So in my situation, I still have cancer throughout my bones. Um, I'm living with it. Um, and I'm incurable. So are the treatments, um, I'll give you a second. I'm sorry. That's okay. So yeah. The, so the treatments um, that you're currently on are they, I guess, to kind of just try to stop it from spreading more. So in my situation, I have heard of some women with stage four that are being treated in a curable manner. Um, in my situation, because it's so widespread, it's to stabilize me. So with stage four, you have a certain amount of lines of treatment when you so every three months I do a scan to see if I have progression or I'm stable when there is progression um there's other factors that go in it's not as simple as like oh you you it grows a little bit and then you know you move on no there's like a certain percentage and then you move on to the next line of treatment even slow growing they could keep you on the same treatment Mm-hmm. Um, so right now I am on my first, I don't even want to jinx it. I don't even want to say it. <laughs> I'm not even going to say it guys. Cause I really don't want to jinx it's okay. it. It's okay. It's That's okay. fair. Yeah. I understand this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and is the medication that you're taking, like, do you go in and get like, what's the medication? So I am on IV therapy. So I go in mm-hmm. every three weeks and I get the treatment. Um, Mm -hmm. I do one for my bones and then I do the targeted therapy. 
Uh, the mm-hmm. one for my bones is every three months and they just add it with my targeted therapy and the targeted mm-hmm. therapy is every three weeks. My whole life obviously revolves around this because I cannot, which I'm grateful. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm not, but everything has to be a plan. Like everything has to be planned around that. So like when I travel or when mm-hmm. I do anything has to be like, okay, I have treatment here, but I also do an injection every four weeks. So it has to be balanced with the three to four week time frame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And are the, um, the treatments, is it like a chemo, like a cl- typical chemo where you feel sick after and, and that, or is it, um, a little less, I guess, like invasive on your life? So what I am currently on is like so fucked up, but it is, I could deal with it. Like I could deal with this for the rest of my life. I'd be so happy to just be on this. Like I've done chemo two times and it is, it was really, really hard, really hard. Mm -hmm. So what I'm on is a targeted therapy. Um, Mm -hmm. I think some people like to say immuno, but my oncologist uses targeted. Um, so I'll just stay with targeted and it's called Herceptum and Perjata. Mm-hmm. And that's what I meant. Mm-hmm. So how are you feeling um, physically first? How are you feeling? Physically. So the last thing in my mind is how I felt while I was pregnant and after I gave birth. So I feel fucking amazing now. <laughs> like the, like I'm, I feel great. Like I'm physically active. I know like you saw my Instagram, I'm running, I'm training for a half marathon. I actually have a 10 K that I'm doing in June. So I'm, I'm, yeah, like I am doing great. Um, but it comes like it, I would be lying if I said I never felt pain. Of course I do. I have like the metal rods in my back. I have Mets like everywhere I told Mm -hmm. you. So now I do feel pain. Um, but I just kind of learn to live with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously very heavy to, I guess, think about, you know, going forward and just like what the future looks like in general, but how are you with that mentally? I have my days. I really, really do. At first it was a lot harder. I started recording, um, voice notes for my daughter um, so I was just like, talk to her and, and I started journaling for her where I write letters. Um, so at first it was super, it's still super hard and it's not, mm-hmm. it's so crazy. Cause when I first went through it, it was about me and my partner and not that I don't think about him or I don't think about me because I do because I need to be good. I know I know that saying like, you know, you need to be good in order to take care of others. But it's like so different with Noor and everything that I do now is like for her. So it's 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 hard. I try not to think that like I try not to think that I'm going to die soon. You know, I try not to think that like it, it happens, but I try not to because I'm like just want to be there for her. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if that answered it, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um 
do they, ha- do they, do the doctors tell you at all? Like, um, I guess what they expect in terms of time or anything like that? No, 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 I'm not. So I'm on palliative care. I am not on anything else, um, like hospice or I wasn't giving given a time frame. There are some women that thrive for many years. Like I've met women 20 years living with metastatic disease. Like, you know what I mean? That is my goal. Like that Mm -hmm. is, you know, um, and then obviously there's women that don't live that long in one year, two years, three years, four years. Right. Um, fortunately there's no cure. So you don't really know, but I was never given a time. And to be frank, like, I don't even want to fucking hear it. Like, I really don't with the outdated statistics. Like, I'm good. (laughs) Absolutely. Like, I'm good. Mm -hmm. Especially, like, if it's not specific to me and my my type and what I am and all of that, I don't, I'd rather not hear it. And luckily, both my doctors were amazing and, and were like, listen, like, you're not dying right now. Like, let's just focus on what the treatment is. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always have this hope too that like medicine changes so much, even in like a short period of time. You just don't know what five years from now is going to look like, even. Absolutely. You know? mm-hmm. Absolutely. And like just to speak about my specific situation, because I'm, you know, her too positive, I am in a very lucky area because there are a lot of targeted therapies that have they actually have women living really long and going into NEAD, which is no evidence of active disease. You know, um, yeah, I am super lucky in that sense. And to say privileged in this kind of situation is effed up, but it is the truth. You know, there are women that have different receptors or no receptors that are triple negative that don't have that that don't have the same medication and, and actually like lack of research. I hope that gets out <laughs> lack of research for metastatic disease, but really they need to find more for a triple negative and not to say that. W- so when you are, so also I'm not an oncologist. This is just speaking to women in the community and knowing these things, your receptors could flip and they could switch. So you could start off being say, like me or her uh, triple positive and then it spreads into triple negative or I could be in this situation and it could, the receptor could switch to triple negative and I could have two different, three different things going on in my body. That is a case. That is mm-hmm. the case for some women. Mm-hmm. So tricky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, somebody was mentioning that it can come back as a different type of yeah. cancer as well, right? It, it's, it's really crazy to me how little we really still know about our bodies. Oh, yeah. How little doctors even know about our bodies. Yeah. Um, this is a little bit of a tangent. I do want to talk about like things that you've done. I know you mentioned like nutrition um, before getting into that. But you did mention at the beginning of the call that you had, before you got your first diagnosis, you were having like really bad stomach issues. Did they resolve at all after you got diagnosed and kind of figured out what was going on? Because I actually had the exact same thing, which is very weird. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it it did get a little bit better. It did. Um, 
for a while, actually, I was doing okay. There's still some things that I couldn't eat, but and now mm-hmm. I know that I do also have like stomach things separate from. But <laughs> it was very hard, like bowel movements or like constipation and all over the place. Mm-hmm. It did get better when I started chemotherapy. Did yours? Interesting. No, well, for me, it was kind of the opposite problem, but it was really, really bad. Like I couldn't even like go to a restaurant without like having to like run to the washroom. Like it was just terrible. And then when I was diagnosed, um, we, me and my partner started eating very different. I mean, we just started like eating organic and I, I stopped eating gluten and that actually, like, I think I I learned that I had a gluten intolerance Mm. and that was probably the cause of a lot of the issues, but I'm still just wondering if because my body was in maybe some sort of immune, you know, reactive state because of the cancer, if it kind of exacerbated things or, or what. So I'm just interested to hear when other people have like a similar. Interesting that you said about gluten because because I just had, um, what is it called? Colonoscopy and a camera guy. Um, and I'm going to meet up with the doctor tomorrow and I was reading my pathology report. I don't want to go ahead and jump to it, but it looks like it might be celiac disease. Really? Wow. Very interesting. But yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about getting, I, I brought it up to my doctor and she's like, well, do you really want to like, you know, they, they don't want to test you for anything. Yeah. She's like, well, you have to go and get like a biopsy of your like stomach yeah. so your, your intestine. Do you really want to do that? And she's like trying to talk me out of it. I'm like, I'm not really, I guess not. But now time has passed. I'm like, I feel like I should just do it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it would be interesting if it was, I, I would be curious to see what the results were. Cause it's funny. Cause I was talking to my husband, you could totally edit this out. But I was talking to him and I was like, interesting, because it's an autoimmune celiac, right? So what if my body was working so hard on fighting this gluten that I've been eating and not fighting the cancer? But I don't know. I really, I have no idea. But it was just something I thought. I know. But like, logically, these connections seem to make sense. You know, I definitely did a lot of thinking like that Mm -hmm. when I was trying to like figure everything out. I was like, generally, I didn't feel great. So like, yeah, I don't know. I was the same for sure. And it was all stomach mm-hmm. issues for me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are just so many health related either problems or resolutions that are tied to our gut. I was actually listening to a um, a different podcast and this is going to sound gross, but it's really happening. Um, they're, they've started doing like gut bacteria transplant um, and it has done like wonders for certain people. So there are different, of course, diseases that it works better for. They've just done more research for. Um, and there was like one specific person they were talking about that it basically just uh, like cleared whatever issue they had because they were given like a healthy bacteria. I will say it's like extracted from poo. So it is like literally like poo pills that you're taking. <laughs> and they find people that have like pristine like gut bacteria wow. um for the donation and it's like apparently it's being researched like a lot more now because it could actually be put into practice for such an array of diseases like and it is not even just like diseases that we would think about but like things like autism because there's so much like research being done around just like nutrition around autism 
Um, and then things like heart disease and like everything all over the spectrum is so tied to our gut. And I was so fascinated to as, as gross on like a simpleton kind of level that that sounds. Um, it's amazing. No, no, for sure. And I definitely do think that everything is tied somehow to each other, you know? Absolutely. And that's the the whole other reason why there's no point of listening to like stats or anything like that. Our bodies are so singular in like how they are chemically made up and all of those things. And like you, you do know best what's right for your body. Yeah, I agree. I definitely do think so. I think that like just research is done very, very, uh, different at the time of, at least for like the breast cancer, um, stats that they have up are just so outdated. And I want to know who these people were, you know, were they our age group? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like, who do they choose to test? Because we were speaking to a couple of people that have had very rare outcomes with either their treatment or their cancer. And like, nobody is doing anything to like do research on them or to like have them be part of any test. And we've asked specifically and they're like, no, nobody's tracking anything. So there's so much left that they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, did you change your diet at all when you were diagnosed? I did. Um, I really, really changed it. My first time around, I mm-hmm. did no refined sugar and I really, really mean it. I know, I know. You've probably heard people be like, I don't have, I did not have any refined sugar, like no baked goods. I didn't eat bread. I was on a complete, I don't want to say plant-based because I did have beans and lentils and stuff like that. I had no dairy. I did eat fish in very small quantities. And that was like once every two weeks. Um, So I did that for, until I got pregnant after my first trimester, then all I wanted was chicken, (laughs) chicken and garlic sauce, you know, like the Arabic garlic sauce that they put on churmas and stuff. I just like craved it. It's all I wanted. And like, um, you know, like the turnips, the pickled ones, that's all I wanted. I was like, fuck it. (laughs) Delicious. They're so good. So I did, I did go on, you know, the, I started reading so much too on like these plant-based diets and what to eat. And now I do eat differently. I still try to eat, I don't know, I'm, I'm air quoting right now, like healthy, what's healthy for me, at least what I think is I do run. So I do need to eat differently in order to fuel Mm -hmm. myself. Um, and I try not to deprive myself now. I, I really had a bad relationship with food. I really did. I was scared to have refined sugars. I was mm-hmm. so afraid, like I would eat it. And I kid you not at night and still sometimes I battle it. I would be lying because I talk to one of my friends about it all the time. When I eat refined sugar, I'm like, oh my God, my cancer's growing. Like it, it has mm-hmm. to be growing. I just fed it, you know? Um, so it's, it's, it's an everyday battle. I think, I think once anyone gets diagnosed with cancer, it doesn't, it like, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but like if it's stage one or stage four, you, it, it is in your head for the freaking rest of your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> is there a reason that sugar was the the culprit that you saw is the worst? Oh, like when I was like reading online and stuff? Yeah. Um, yeah, like why refined sugar? I don't know. It just kept popping freaking up everywhere. It's like no refined sugar. Don't feed the cancer. Um, d- me and my husband started researching different words for sugar. Like, you know, like when they put in the ingredients and they start giving you different fucking names and you're just like, what is this? Probably fucking refined sugar. (laughs) (laughs) So I started obsessing. Like I just became so obsessed. And I honestly, like working with my therapist, I know now I couldn't control the cancer situation. So I wanted to control this, you know, like I wanted to control what I was putting in my body. Um, and I was like, oh, if my body's failing me, then like I could trick my body into, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just a horrible relationship. Um, it's hard not to fall into that trap of thinking that you like have more control than you actually do, you know, because it's like you think about all the people, like all those cases of people where it's like someone smokes for like a hundred years and they're totally fine. Yeah, and then another never person gets lung, gets lung cancer. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it's like. I don't know. Me and my partner did the same thing. Like we, I didn't eat any sugar. I think I, yeah, I only ate fish, no gluten, no dairy, like same thing. And like, we joke about it now. And we're like, I don't even remember like what we ate back then. Like, what did we even, we we didn't eat out. We like cooked everything. I don't even, I don't know. Like, I guess we just ate vegetables every day. I don't remember. Uh, I know. But you have to still... Did it make you happy? Like when you were not to say that you need to be eating a whole fucking cake. I'm not saying that either, but like, yes, you do. I'm joking. (laughs) I mean, there's also just the, the, you already feel so isolated from like living a normal life. Right. So when you put yourself in that box, I think it's just like, then it spills over into like being in social situations and like, you feel like you can't have like someone's birthday cake or like whatever, and it's just another cherry on top of the whole <laughs> thing. For sure. Right? And you're like already feel like an outcast and you're like, sorry, I can't eat that. And it's fine. Yeah. I don't want to. I also don't want to take away from people in their journey that do. Do whatever it is that works for them either. So like mm-hmm. I'm only laughing, making fun of myself, but I also think that other people are going to navigate the way they feel is best. I still eat very healthy for me, but what makes sense mm-hmm. for me now? So like everything in moderation is is my theory, like 80-20. Um, but because I have such a bad relationship with food because of my diagnosis and essentially your question, the online refined sugar thing, um, I still have those conversations all the time with myself and it's so bad. It actually it could be really like, I don't know the word, but really daunting on me food. So I don't want to take away from other people that it works for them and that they are, they're in that process of their journey or they're forever doing it. Like, yeah. And, and it, it can't be bad. It can't be bad to do that. No, you know, for, not. Yeah. for a while. Yeah. For me, I'm just, um, for me, why I changed it was just because of the relationship was getting really bad with food and I didn't yeah. want it to, to get worse. Like I just didn't want that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
you talked a, a bit ab- about like connecting with other people online or just like hearing other women's stories. What were the, um, like what were the specific outlets that you found? Like for me, I know I was on Facebook groups quite a bit, like rethink. Oh yeah. I was on the rethink. I actually found somebody online. Um, she is, she passed away. Um, I don't know. She's very big in the breast cancer community, Nally. Um, she was a huge advocate um, for the breast cancer community. But I, I found her first. That was the first person I found that I saw talk about IVF. Um, and she had a bunch of YouTube videos that I just went like down a rabbit hole. And she just documented everything. Um, so... she actually was the person that told me about the oncologist that this is how the world is so interconnected. When I went to Montreal, I, I reached out to her to ask her for an oncologist and the oncologist that she told me about was her oncologist is the same oncologist that the oncologist that I was seeing referred me to, which is just so strange. (laughs) And she was the first person like that I saw and that I reached out to when I was diagnosed, never met her in person, never had even a phone conversation, nothing. But I'm just so grateful that she was just so vulnerable and shared her whole journey, Mm -hmm. you know? So that was my biggest, my biggest one. And then also like rethink on uh, Facebook, um, but also just, you know, like the hashtags and you do the search, I put in triple positive breast cancer, stage three, triple positive breast cancer, metastatic disease. And I would just like find all of these women. But yeah, so Facebook. That's actually really smart because I feel like when I first went on Rethink, it was like a little overwhelming because it was a lot of people posting about questions that they had about like some specific thing during their journey or giving updates. And I think for me, it was like a little bit overwhelming. Like it was like hearing about things that could potentially happen to me that like I wasn't there yet. And it was just like kind of opening my mind, maybe not in the best way. Like I found so much help through that platform, but I think just at first it was like a little overwhelming. So that's really interesting to like, just actually look at people, like just people's individuals lives on Instagram. That's like really smart. Mm -hmm. It worked for me. I don't know. And obviously there was also, it does work some days, but then some days you're just like, oh my God, why did I just go on? Like, why did I just look Mm -hmm. at this? (laughs) Why? I wonder if there's a completely different way to look at it to not even really refer to it as cancer, but like to really like break it down into the different ways that it affects people. Oh, like individually, how, like what you take from it, you mean? Yeah, because I think calling it cancer is just so broad. Mm -hmm. I understand that it's like a type of, you know, thing that happens in our body, but it's just so broad. And I just feel like there's so many different outcomes and so many different ways to approach it that it feels a little bit backwards to make it that macro but I mean I, I agree the, down. yeah it's like literally just like an umbrella word <laughs> it's essentially yeah. just what it is yeah there has been um books that I've read I don't know if you've heard of uh radical remission the book no so it's interesting but um 
It is Dr. I, f- I believe it's Dr. Starts with a T. Anyways, did wrote this book about people that went into radical remissions that had uh, stage four diagnosis or had different types of cancer. It doesn't necessarily have to be stage four, but they, some of them were sent home and said like conventional therapy is not working on you anymore. And they would go home and they would do or eat or do things that they loved. Like one of the uh, people that was, she was doing research on like started with music, like singing and eating and doing all of these things and went into radical remission. And then they told him that he was going to die essentially. Um, so I do think like going back to what you were saying is that it's this umbrella term. I think that like certain things work for certain people. Um, so I think that's why probably there's no fucking cure because it's so individualized. It's like not one hat fits all kind of thing. And it's also why it's okay to like approach it in any way that you feel is right for you and be as extreme about the things you're deciding to do as you want to mm-hmm. be because you know best. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 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 Even if it's just for your sanity. <laughs> It is such a hard thing to go through. It is. It really, really is. Are there any specific um, takeaways? Feels such a like a ridiculous term, but I mean, is, is there anything specific that you've learned throughout this process that was either like surprising or something that you're like, you know, more people should know about? Something you'd want to share? Because we've just covered so much, and we're so appreciative of you sharing so much with us but also want to give you the space to touch on things maybe we haven't. Um, Probably so basic, like feel your breasts, get to know your body. I think that that, I I think we're definitely in a different time now as well, you know? Um, But I definitely would say like feel your breasts, get to know your body. Um, Also, it's so, I, I don't even... I'm just living. Like, I don't even know how, like, I know I don't really have anything to give to anyone, like, to say other than, like, just live your life. Just live it. And things you cannot control, just, like, just find a way to let it go, you know? Like, even, like, for example, because my thoughts are everywhere, so you could edit this part out, but just, like, going back to like the whole scan thing every three months I go through the same thing I go through anxiety and like I just constantly have to remind myself like I can't fucking control this like I cannot like I am going to die one day and I just have to accept it you know um and that's it but I don't have this like wisdom thing that I'm just like oh you know everything is beautiful and because it's fucking not (laughs) it's really really not just live your life however you see best and get to know your body and things you can't control you have like you don't have to but I'm saying for me I have to find a way to let it go because that's the only way I'm gonna like live for my daughter absolutely and I think that's applicable to everybody whether you're living with something or not like you just never know how much time you have and you might have another 60 years and you have to like 
live happy for those 60 years. You don't want to have 60 years of like wondering when things are going to like go left, you know? Mm -hmm. Another thing actually that has got me to like really open up in like with the cancer thing is, is like just doing like, this is just like a side note, like just fucking do what you want to do and like not giving a fuck what other people say or you know what I mean? I, I'm not saying be a bad person, but I'm saying like, if there's something that you want to do, whether it's like your goals, dreams, and you're like embarrassed or shy or whatever the case is, is like, just do it. Like, just do it. Again, back to the time thing. Like, you don't have all the time in the world. You, re- you really, really don't. Even if we all live to be like eight years old, we don't have all the time in the world. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like very finite. Yeah. And it just keeps going by faster as you get older. So true. Like I cannot <laughs> believe, like I was just talking to Javier. I'm like, I'm going to be fucking 35. <laughs> Not that that is like, but like I started this journey at 29. Yeah. You know, I'm just like, I cannot believe I'm going to be 35. And a little bit of that made me like, not okay to die, but like, just like, wow. Like that in itself is, is, you know, beating some odds, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. But as far as wisdom, I don't, I don't know if I have any. That was wisdom. Oh, was that? Last oh, yeah. time that was wisdom. Yes. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. okay, hashtag me. No I'm joking. <laughs> um, but yeah. It is a journey. You know what? That reminds me of um I just got a haircut like last week. And I was talking to my hairdresser, and somehow it always comes up. I don't know, you just talk about life, and then he actually brought up that his sister was going through treatment for breast cancer. And I was like, okay, yeah, I know about that. And we started talking about it. And I was talking about my experience. And he ended up afterwards just being like, you know what, like, I haven't even really thought about like what she's going through, like what the actual like, sure, she's going through cancer. But like, what does that actually look like on like a day to day basis? Like, I haven't even like thought about it really, or like, talk to her about it. Like, maybe I should talk to her about it, you know? So I do think even getting into like the nitty gritty details sometimes is like, it's important for everyone to hear. Yeah. Not just people going through it, I think. Agreed. You know, the thing, like just talking about the like people asking you or or whatnot, it is so isolating. Like even if you meet someone that is going through similar thing as you, it is still so 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 isolating um and I don't know if I've had a lot of people just be like just like really ask me do you know what I mean other than Mm -hmm. the like hey how are you doing like oh go get him tiger like you got (laughs) this you're so strong you're like fuck I don't want to be strong (laughs) (laughs) but like just really talking to you and really trying to understand it and also like that there isn't necessarily always this like happy ending. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the thing with cancer is that, well, at least in my situation, you know, 
there isn't this like, oh, one chemo down, two chemos down, three chemos down. You know what I mean? Not to take away from anyone else's happiness, but it's like sometimes there isn't this fucking happy ending and you just need to connect with those kind of people too. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. you just, I don't know. It's a fucking, I just went on a different... (laughs) I mean, that's reality. That's, that's reality. Thing. That's the thing. And going back to that whole social media thing is like, I would see so many people be like, seven chemos, eight chemos, five chemos. <laughs> and I'm here. Yeah, like, I, mean, that, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's totally a thing too, though. It's just like the cancer champion and like, yeah, everything is just like, you know, posting long emotional Posts and I about- did that, and that's yeah. totally yeah. That's I was I did that. I still do it, but I did do yep. that. But it's also like having different, I think, representations as well, and mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I think to to your point of you saying that no one's really asked you. Um, we've had a couple of people say that like their family is so awkward about it that they want us to just do this podcast. So it's like I want them all to hear so that at least. Now they know. The family is actually the hardest for me, at least, because it's like they Mm -hmm. ask you like totally quotations, like they ask you, but they really just want to know that you're doing good. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I'm not even about to air any of my family members out, but I love them so much. But there has been times where I've had conversations like, oh my God, I'm just so stressed out when you get scans. And I was like, oh, fuck great you're stressed out let me just tell you I have not slept in two weeks <laughs> okay <laughs> but it's so interesting it, it is like they ask but people really just are they are asking in order for them to feel good I don't know how to explain it but it's just like yeah. they don't want to feel that sadness and I get it like especially parents you know what I mean um like my parents um, so I did, I don't know if you had to do this, but I would always be like, oh, I'm good. Great. I'm just, just amazing. <laughs> I mean, I definitely didn't get into like detail about things. I would just kind of like give them the basic updates and I don't know, like, I, I don't really feel like we needed to talk about it that that they I mean I'm I am like close with my parents but I've never been like close where I'm like talking to them every day and like giving them all the details of my life so I think like it was more my friends and my partner that kind of took that on so yeah and especially even like yeah there was definitely some people in my family that it was just like okay yeah like you're just asking because you want like the good news like you don't want me to like go on a rant right now about how I'm actually yeah how you really feel what you have to deal with the side effects the like mind fuck of a game the whole thing is they don't want to hear that they really don't yeah well my family didn't do you feel like since um your mom was diagnosed like do you guys talk about it in a different way than when you did before or absolutely but I'm also in such a different place now with my diagnosis and it's hard not for me to empathize that's not what I mean but it's just I'm at a different place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's just essentially just what it is. I'm just in a different place of, um, a, in my reality and not to say like, I'm being selfish, but for me and in, in this reality, I am not any more special 
or anything. And I'm never now, I'm not like, woe is me. I don't sit in emotions for a very long time. Um, so it's, just, it's different, right? So like yeah. what, what, sh- what I was going through after my first diagnosis is kind of what she's went through. And it was hard to connect because I was at a point where I'm not there anymore. And I finally realized in my situation and my understanding that I am not special and that m- my feelings cannot live that long. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I just didn't allow mm-hmm. them to like surface for a long period of time. I mean, that goes back to the point of like how the cancer umbrella is so big and like there's just so many compartments in it. Like just because you're under that umbrella, it's you're still isolated. Like Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think that the rawness of it is important because I think like when you're just kind of looking at, you know, like TV or like the the things that are fed to you, it's like it's not really going to give you like a realistic idea For sure. of what you know you know funny that you say that I think that also too people have this idea like people don't even know that I have stage four cancer because I have my hair my eyebrows my eyelashes and I don't look like somebody that typically has stage four or what people think is stage four right mm-hmm. so I have this invisible disease, right? Um, obviously it was different when I was going through chemo, but I'm just saying like, it's, it's, it is, uh, very interesting. Did you do chemotherapy? I did. Yeah. So I did, um, but I only did, ta- uh, Taxol. Okay. And her cycle. Oh, yeah. Okay, so it was different. a little bit lighter, mm-hmm. but Taxol, you're supposed to like, it's like a 90 something chance that you're going to lose your hair, but I did cold caps. Oh, yeah, that's so good. Yeah, and I didn't lose any hair. I lost like a little bit at the very back mm-hmm. here, like back of my neck. But that's and that's only because the cold cap like didn't reach it. Okay. But otherwise, it like completely worked for me. Mm-hmm. I was very lucky. Where did you do? You don't have to answer this, but where did you do chemotherapy? Um, at Mount Sinai. Oh, Mount Sinai. Okay, okay. So yeah. right by. So my yeah my like surgeon and I think my uh, oncologist too worked out of like Princess Margaret and Mount Sinai. So yeah. another thing that you asked me earlier is about the regretting thing. I wish I would have went to Princess Margaret. Yeah. Versus the hospital that I was at. I think that there's just a lot more younger people. It's a research-based hospital. The hospital that I was at was research-based. But the population in Toronto is just more. Mm-hmm. So as far as like working with a lot of younger people, I wish I just would have went to the Princess Margaret, but it's okay. I'm there now. When did you um, start going to therapy? Did you do that right away or is this more of like an afterthought? No, it was after. It was after. It was definitely after I kept talking to my husband and just being like, I really need to speak to someone. I started becoming a little like, angry and like resentful you know mm-hmm. and and it and I was like oh this is like not me like I'm not this person like you know mm-hmm. so um it was after my diagnosis I start after my diagnosis I started seeing a therapist um I stopped and then I started up again um mm-hmm. I stopped during my pregnancy it was around I got the time I got pregnant I stopped and then I started again is there a reason you stopped during your pregnancy? 
So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want trauma to be surfaced while I was pregnant. Um, not to say it, I, I don't know if it, like, if research says, like, you know, it was just something that. Like, that is such a fair point. Yeah. 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 I just didn't want to feel that during my pregnancy. And I just, like I said earlier, Noor was so intentional and I just tried my best to be calm mm -hmm. and just other than going to the hospital like 10 times, but I tried to be as calm as I possibly could and just be pregnant that way, I guess. That makes all the sense in the world. Some women do it throughout their whole pregnancy and are completely fine and it works for them though. But for me, I just had so much more trauma, like cancer related, not cancer related that still wasn't surfaced. So I didn't want to start ha hashing more things. So yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, was your therapy, did you, did you find that it, that it helped? And I'm curious if it was like targeted, like cognitive behavioral therapy for like certain things or was it just like talk therapy talk it was a lot of talk okay. therapy but I think I'm ready to explore EMDR what's that so I don't know in full detail but it's essentially with like the eyes you look into it one of my really close friends has been doing it and she swears by it and I just feel the whole talking doesn't work as much as it did at the time that I needed it. So, mm -hmm. um, trying to find someone to do some EMDR now. <laughs> so you don't speak, it's just like your eyes. So I don't like, I don't know the full detail of it, but hold mm. on, hold on. Let me just, cause I don't want to <laughs> give misinformation. That'd be really bad. I hate <laughs> doing that. I hate when people even do it to me. Hold on. EM. <laughs> like an eye movement thing yes kind of I feel like it's so familiar it's apparently so good for PTSD mm. um oh my gosh they're giving me therapists hold on <laughs> what is edit it out hold on EMDR okay it's you guys it's just oh yeah so it's eye move it's eye movement well that's what it's saying here I don't know if it's exactly that but it's a method that involves moving your eyes a specific way while you're process while you process traumatic memories. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So I've been hearing a lot from it from one of my friends. So I was like, okay, because I don't know, the talking thing isn't serving me anymore. So, mm -hmm. you know, when something isn't serving anymore, I say thank you and move on. Um, <laughs> so I think I'm at that point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah makes sense. That's interesting. I, um, I started meditating like throughout this. I never did before until I was diagnosed. And that was like a huge thing that helped me. But one of the like methods to like get into it is like eye relaxation. Oh, wow. So it, I feel like it, like maybe it's like a meditative thing too. I'm sure it is. Yeah. I struggle to meditate. I think probably because the PTSD, I just need like high, yeah. um, anything like with like, so like self-care, for example, is the running because it's just high intensity all the time. Um, yeah. S sitting alone in this like quiet space is difficult for me. I'm working on it. It's a process. <laughs> I mean, I feel like everyone has kind of like different ways of meditating. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm definitely a low frequency type of person, but I never thought that I'd be able to, like, I never even, I was just like, no, like I'm way too anxious. Like my, I can't like calm my mind. And then I started out with using like apps. So I would have like people talk through the meditations and, uh, it just like really helped for me, helped me. And like, I realized that I had so much tension in my body that I wasn't even aware of. Like, I I mean, I was a little bit because I constantly had pain from my jaw, like to my collarbone. And uh, I started meditating. And like, literally, it obviously it took a while of like doing it every day. And I was meditating a lot throughout treatment. But like, eventually, like all of that tension just like completely left. And it was like to the point where like I would stop and I would have pain from the amount that my shoulders like dropped. Like it was like crazy. I was like, I didn't even know I was holding this much tension. Mm. And now like I don't do it as much as I should, but I can like feel my body start to kind of do that again. And I like will meditate to, I try to mitigate it a little bit, but it's just crazy. Like it's crazy what your body can be doing that you're not even like aware of. How much it holds. You know? Mm-hmm. And like where it holds your trauma is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. the shoulder thing, I totally, right when you said that, I was like, oh my gosh, let me sit straight. <laughs> <laughs> like it is all here. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. It's like, I have to do it now yeah. to even like feel okay. Like I, I don't have a choice, Yeah, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, I really, like not just saying this, I really, for a very long time, I've been trying to get into meditation. I was even recommended Calm, the Calm app. I don't know if you heard that. Yeah. Um, someone that is dear to me actually gave me their sign in, gave me like <laughs> this free access <laughs> and I tried it and I, I struggle. I really do struggle, but it is something that I do want to give to myself and learn there's this there's an app that I use that's like it was like a specific like cancer one it's interesting because the guy doesn't really talk about cancer specifically too much in his things but it's more of just like if you're going through something traumatic but the way that he does it is really good because he gives you actual techniques that you can like do so it's not just like sit there and like you know empty your mind like it's like he'll give you actions that you can do while you're meditating Mm -hmm. so you know, you can kind of focus on that rather than like just trying to like be still or or whatever, right? Get into that state so you're not like focusing on that. But um, I think it's it was yeah, called curious. Nadia cares. Nadia cares. I'm gonna write that down. Yeah, I can send you the. Uh, I'll send you the actual yeah. thing, but yeah, it was really helpful for me. That was the one I used mostly and sometimes I'll go back to it too. Do you find now now I feel like I'm interviewing you, but do you find that cuz I did this, so I don't know. Like when you originally were diagnosed, you were f- trying to find all these ways to heal and then like you get I don't know, not better because I don't think you ever become like completely better, but you kind of like stop doing the things that like fulfilled you and like you love doing. Do did that does that happen to you or did it happen to you? Uh oh yeah, like a hundred percent. I mean, for me, I was really lucky because when I went through my treatment, I was able to not work. So I had like tons of time on my hands. And I have this really conflicting feeling about that time in my life because 
I almost think about it as one of the times that I was like the happiest, which sounds crazy, but I didn't have any responsibility. I didn't have to answer to a job. I didn't really have to think about money because I was, um, my, my job at the time was actually still just paying me to give me time off. And I was able to like meditate two times a day. I was able to cook my meals and actually think about food. I was able to, I started, um, like drawing again and just taking like hours out of the day to like sit down and like make art. And, uh, that was like very healing for me. And I definitely had a hard time adjusting back to like normal life. And I think I still struggle with that because I wish that I could just do that all the time. I was very happy, you know, aside from dealing with, uh, a terrible disease. But, um, yeah, I don't have time to do those things anymore. You know, it's like, it's just, I try to still meditate. I try to exercise, but like, it's just just really hard to try to make time for everything else. And I don't even have kids yet. So it's like, yeah, it's just, it's just such a struggle to balance everything. It's oddly such a weird I don't know if I'm saying this right, but a weird blessing cancer sometimes Mm -hmm. because it like really opens your eyes to shit you never even appreciated or would have done, you know? And it's not even like the whole like selfish thing. It's just like, just the bare minimal, like cooking good food for yourself, taking time and enjoying your food and you know, tasting everything that you're making and like for you in your case, meditation, like, you know, things that we should always be giving to ourselves because we enjoy and love it. But it takes like a diagnosis, (laughs) you know, to shake us to our core in order to be like, okay, maybe I need to change some things. Maybe I do need to give to myself. It's true. I mean, even like, I think a big thing for me too was I didn't really value my like family relationships as much as I like should have I think and I mean I moved away from home my family is spread across like the country we just like didn't really talk that much and then I it just became like really important to me to like build those relationships um and I think because I just realized that like nothing else is actually important. <laughs> like that was like the only thing that really like felt important when everything else was taken away. Like my job, my professional purpose, like all of that stuff is just like stuff, you know? I mean, and I've, I think some of those things have definitely stuck with me. Like I try to make more of an effort with just keeping in touch with people now, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That's what I was going to say. I did find like a very weird natural reaction that happened for me. And I I think this is probably different for everyone, but I just became like, so like, I just had so much gratitude for things like tiny things. I'd be like, Oh my God, like I have a comfortable bed. And I just started thinking about like every little tiny thing that I have. And it just, it was almost like I could like see those things in a new light. Like like life was a little bit more vivid, you know? Oh, so, so true. My mother was, this is funny though. Cause the, it, it's a little bit what you were saying too. So like, I would like look outside out the window and like days and like, oh my God, look at nature. Look how beautiful life is. I don't fucking want to leave here. So my mother, my early stage was driving me to work and I'm just like oh, crying, looking out the window, gazing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, mom, God always takes so I, I am spiritual. So and, and 
I say God, um, I'm like, mom, God always takes the good people first, you know? And she's like, and I'm crying. Mind you, I'm crying. Like tears coming down my eyes, getting so like heartfelt. And my mom's like, good thing you're a bitch. I was like, mm. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> That's amazing. But, like, <laughs> but uh, mom with the mic. I swear she, you need the humor, but no, back to the thing. I really, really, everything became so intensified. Like as far as like mm-hmm. when I'd be outside nature, everything, but then it was interesting for me. Cause then when I got became, I guess, okay, or whatever you want to call it, I stopped. Yeah, I stopped same. caring about myself again. I stopped doing all of those things. And then I don't know, it could just be absolute coincidence. But then I had the reoccurrence and I'm like, okay, back to it. Let's go. Let's start doing all of these things all over again. Now I have to be a nice person all the time. Now I have to, no joking. (laughs) But um, no, for sure. I mean, it's a little bit of the good that comes with the bad, I guess, is you just like get to see life in a little bit of a different uh, way for a minute. Yeah. I would think about crazy I would just be like I can walk like I can see like I'm so lucky like I can still see I can still like eat food 1000% after my surgery the spinal surgery um they wanted me to walk like that was the thing and like do you know I've never wanted to move my feet so badly like I came out of the surgery and I was like are my feet moving? Like, am I moving? Are my arms moving? And it was just, you know, and it's not something so simple. Like it, it is big and it is, you know, I don't know. It was, it was super life-changing though. And, and now like back to the whole career thing and everything, um, I don't know, like my title right now and like just being mom, I am so content with. And like, just so happy with that. I'm just like, this is the best title that I could have ever had in this life. Like, you know what I mean? So, and it is interesting because the whole career thing and my first diagnosis, I felt super empty as far as what do I do now? I don't want to do what I did before. I, Mm -hmm. you know, was searching and finding myself. So it is super interesting from first to second. Not to say that's everyone's situation. I'm just saying in mine. Mm -hmm. Did you end up changing your career? So I initially went to Columbia not doing what I did. I was a counselor Mm -hmm. um, uh, for youth that were in trouble with the law. So... um, yeah, I was a counselor and then I went to Columbia and I taught and I came back. Sorry, before I left, actually, I left my job. Mm-hmm. Before I left, I left my job, worked at a pain care clinic, and then I went to Columbia, came back. I, I was just living. Like, I was like, oh, I'll take a break mm-hmm. from counseling. I'll do this for a bit and come back and then I'll pick it back up. But I didn't want anything to do with it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't want anything to do with what I was doing. And it wasn't because I didn't love the youth I worked with or didn't. I just was different. Like I was mm-hmm. very different. So, yeah. So I did not. 
<laughs> and then you got a chance. I mean, obviously you were forced into taking a break. And then on the other side of it, did you, oh, but you got pregnant. I got basically. pregnant. So I did get pregnant, but I am um, studying nutrition now. I'm, I am. Yeah. So I am doing that. Um, and, and like I said, like I just found this love for nutrition and running, like obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Runners, I'm jealous. Runner's high is a real thing. <laughs> I'm jealous. The doctor told me I should run and I do it, but I just hate it. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Fair. I don't know. I just... The craziest thing to me about nutrition was when I got to university and I realized that it's not part of the medical school and it was like its own thing. Yeah. You know, I had a very, a very serious moment of being like, wait, they're not connected, which, (laughs) which to me as well, does not make sense, but fair, I guess, like, I don't know, like I've asked every single one of my oncologists about sugar or just eating certain diets with cancer. And all of them said it is not correlated other than the oncologist that I have now, she didn't say sugar. She didn't specifically say sugar, but she did say weight gain. Mm. So she did correlate that with, so trying to keep a balanced, you know, BMI and all of that, but she didn't say sugar, but it, it is interesting that like you're an oncologist and we don't talk about nutrition. It absolutely cannot in any way not be correlating. Like we are, yeah. yeah, we're taking these things into our body all day, every day. Yeah. 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 It is correlated. I mean, <laughs> even if it's not like a cause, it's definitely going to have some sort of effect. Like, For sure. Absolutely. For sure. I, the oncolo- I asked the same thing and the on- my oncologist, um, actually my first oncologist at like in Mississauga said soy, like don't eat soy. That's the only thing. So Interesting because there's research that actually says soy is good for estrogen. Yeah. (laughs) So it's interesting, like depending, like I, you know, I don't want to speak for like places, but there are certain countries that do eat soy products that actually show lower rates of cancer diagnoses, right? So it's maybe, maybe she did say, so I think she said like soy like process. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Like, but like, like actual, like, I don't know, like edamame and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Versus that. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I thought they just been like soy because there are some oncologists that say like, do not have any soy product. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. Or maybe I just figured that out from my own research. She probably just said blanket soy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Because they don't, they don't give a lot of information around food. They really don't. They actually referred me to a nutritionist and I I don't know. It was like a waste of like an hour of my life. <laughs> you know, like I'm not trying to yeah. be rude, but they go by the standard guidelines, right? Like it's just like mm-hmm. super standard guidelines. And I was like, okay, this is not helping me with my anxiety around food. <laughs> I also just feel like because everyone is so different and unique and everyone's body is different, it's almost like there should be some sort of service where like you can get a blood test or something and then they can tell you based on your like makeup, Mm -hmm. like what foods 
you know, sure. can work more favor in that kind of situation. Like I saw a nutritionist too. And I mean, the only thing I took away from seeing her a couple times was she told me to eat Brazil nuts. So I do that now, but I have no idea if it's doing anything. You're like, why am I eating these fucking nuts? Yeah. I'll just keep eating them, I guess. <laughs> Has to fucking be good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's true. There's so many. I actually saw a couple of nutritionists because I keep convincing myself that it's going to get better. But I I was done. And you're right. There is no, I think that the biggest question is like when you have a client that comes to you about food, be like, ask them what they enjoy eating and like, how could we make this work together? Yeah. Versus like, I don't know. I was told to like have insure like the like the protein drink. I was like, I just told you dairy is giving me anxiety. I'm sure it's causing me inflammation. Can I not have dairy? <laughs> but it is it is yeah. super interesting being nutritionists. But they they go by I think the like Canada Food Guide or yeah something like that. Yeah, but it was it was changed I think like a couple years ago, like two years ago, the Canada Food Guide. Is it, it's because it was the pyramid, right? Is it still the pyramid? No. With like bread on the top yeah. or something? <laughs> Can you fucking believe that? This is what we grew up going to school. And it was like the milk. Do you, I don't know. Did you guys go to school like here in Toronto? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in Winnipeg. I went to school in Winnipeg. Okay. But so. Yeah, similar. Yes, they would have like, like the white milk or the chocolate milk and you'd pay like the, the 50 cent for the milk. And it's like, you should be having milk until you're like 50. It's so good for your bones. And you're just like, uh, I don't know. Didn't it say like, you're supposed to eat like five servings of meat a day or something? <laughs> like it was like something insane. And you're like, I can't, I don't think that's good for me. Oh, that's so funny. No, it definitely changed. It was like, now the portions have changed and it's like more vegetable ratio to like, the meat, the six portion of meats a day. <laughs> I wonder why we're all getting cancer, right? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Just living on beef. I swear. Yeah. That's hilarious. My God. I do love that you're in that space, though, because your perspective is so interesting in it. Because you are also going to be a nutritionist. Yeah. I'm not there yet, but I'm, I'm almost there. I'm almost done guys. I'm almost done. <laughs> yeah. These exams are fucking me, but I'm almost done. <laughs> it's so hard going back and studying after, like, I don't know if it's the treatment, but like mom brain, chemo brain, like I've been really struggling, but I'm doing it. I'm really proud of myself. So almost there. Yeah. Thanks. That's amazing. That's a huge, huge, huge accomplishment. No, it is. Did you finish this year? I should be. I should be yeah. finishing. <laughs> I will definitely keep you posted. Yeah, I'm going to be like lurking your Instagram now. Because <laughs> you know I'm going to be like, <laughs> fucking finally done. <laughs> finally, guys. But um, yeah, no, it's been a journey. It's really been a struggle studying. Um, but I'm doing it. I'm, I'm really, I'm doing it. I'm doing well, happy with the grades, but it is, it is different. Definitely different than when I was like 20 studying, 22 studying. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah, sometimes I think about how much I wish I appreciated studying more when I was at university. Because you just had to study. Like, what a great thing to right? have to do. Just to yeah. and, like, learn about things you like. <laughs> I know. It's so true and so structured. Like, I know it doesn't mm-hmm. work for everyone, but it was just like, oh, study this, do this, hand this in. Now you're like, where do yeah. I even start when you're doing like your own like research? You're like, which is, yeah. where do I start? Is this a legit source? It's not in the textbook. Yeah. Like I have to like, <laughs> it's so much harder. <laughs> it really is. This has been a really great conversation. Thank you both um, so much. And I thought, no, thank you so much for sharing. And like, it's a really, um, you know, big perspective to have and to to understand. So I really do appreciate you opening up about it. Please edit out anything where I is not connecting the dots. <laughs> Honestly, no, every time you said, I'm okay, I'm going to make a mental note. And you're like, you know, cause I'm on a tangent and then you'll say it. I'm like, no, this is perfect. <laughs> anything that doesn't make sense. Or you're like, Hmm, what was she trying to say here? Just edit it out. Yeah. <laughs> I have to send you guys that funny YouTube video of this Middle Eastern guy being like, edit it out. <laughs> Do you want to say hi? Are we done? Can she come say hi really fast? <laughs>